Hello and welcome to the Next Level Podcast. I'm Tim Miller in the captain's chair with my best buddies, Jonathan Victor Last of The Bulwark and Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark. How you doing, guys? Hello, Tim. Hello, Tim, Tim. Hey, you want to know something? Yeah, let's do it. So I was going through pictures. I meant to bring this. I found a picture of Tim and his not-yet-husband at the time from my East Coast wedding party and they are just like the it's babies. I was just looking at Tim's face and thinking like we're just aging together. Uh, and Tyler like weighed 102 pounds soaking wet and now he's like a muscle man. It's been a full metamorphosis. I think I I probably look the same but you know maybe you think I look like a baby, I don't know. Just in, uh, in the eye of the beholder, yeah. I guess. Guys, uh, over at Charlie's podcast, Daily Podcast, which we love and everyone should be listening to, he offers a little palate cleanser sometimes for people at the top. And since I'm driving, I went to copy Charlie. And since I live in New Orleans now, I'm, instead of calling it a palate cleanser, I'm going to call it a little lanyap. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but mm. I'm embracing mm. New Orleans culture like JVL is embracing Broadway. And so a little lanyap, I don't know if you've seen this from the Florida legislature Let's just do it live here. And for people not listening on the podcast, you might want to go over to YouTube because the faces are pretty important here. Sebastian, give us a play. Like we never usually do. We bombed it because they threw homosexuals off that building. Our terrorist enemies hate homosexuals more than we do. They're the <laughs> ones who discriminate. Our job in the military, our Navy creed, I'm committed to excellence Look and fair treatment of all. That's what we learn in boot camp. That's what we drill into ourselves each and every day while we're in boot camp. Please vote up on this bill. That is so good. Representative Kelly Skidmore there, proudly serving District 92 in Boca Raton, Florida, in the background. They hate homosexuals more than we do. Even more yeah. than we do. And we hate them a lot. <laughs> we just don't hate them, throw them off a building a lot. You can't mention them in 12th grade in Florida. <laughs> But we do not want to throw them off the building like our enemies. I, that was just such a nice synthesis of our two decades of aging together, Sarah, in culture war. You know, it's like the Islamists are the real homophobes. We're just kind of, we're homophobe light. No, we hate. Like we light. hate. We just hate. <laughs> we just hate slightly less. I loved her face. What's going um, on with that woman who's sitting behind the speaker there? That's what I'm saying. That is Representative Kelly Skidmore of District 92. That is her sitting behind the other rep. Oh, that's her? Okay. I forget the bigot's name. I'm sorry. Thank you for clarifying. She is sitting there listening to her colleague just like, the woman was too shocked to speak. <laughs> she was like, what? <laughs> what is this guy saying? Wait, can we do a quick like body language recap on this? Because here's what's great about it, yeah, right? Please. So he says it. Her mouth drops open. She cannot believe he said it. Her mouth stays open. He slowly realizes what he's just said. You can sort, you have to be watching really closely, but you hear his voice hit that, like just hit a little gauge of like, oh no, I said it out loud. Uh, I wasn't supposed to say it like that. And then you see her do this thing where like, she looks around the room like other people heard this too, right? Like I'm not right? alone in just hearing the same thing. But That's she perfect. is alone in understanding the insane thing. She looks like you remember Office Space, the one of the, the great of comedies course. of our time, featuring one of the great walk-off performances of all time from a little-known actor named Greg Pitts, who comes in and plays Drew, who's the office buddy who does the bone coaster bit. And she looks like she's making the bone coaster O face. Oh, oh, uh, it's <laughs> It's amazing. The O-Face. 
Anyway, um, we'll get back to Florida in another week. There'll be plenty to talk about. My Not My Party is going to be about the craziness happening in the Florida legislature. So that was just a little side little side clip I got is doing the research for it. Um, I want to talk about what Republican voters want in 2024, you know, rather than getting as much into the horse race. JVL, you did a nice triad about Thank it you. yesterday, but you I'm assuming it? Sarah did not read. I read so it. So maybe, oh, you did, did read did you, did you notice the note I included in it for you? Mm, Did a, I a read it? Is a little, uh, a test is I a little. I read it. I skimmed it. Rude. Because I, I in fact had a whole number of people comment about how amusing they thought it was that I had tucked in the note addressed to you within the triad, Can you just knowing t- t- full just well that hint. you would not read it. Just give me a hint. What did it say? It literally says, "Hi, Sarah." <laughs> At which part? The part you didn't read. It was a long try. It was a I long think this try. Is I think I think I this is I read them all a little bit. Like I just I'm can't like the, always. I'm like the student who tucks in, you know, the the first paragraph of the Gettysburg Address on page 16 of his 25 page term paper just to see if the mm-hmm. teacher is awake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, why don't why don't you just brief us then, JVL? It was, give us the TLDR just in case somebody. So didn't the read. the CBS and YouGov did a poll asking likely Republican primary voters what it is they most want from their presidential nominee, and the answers were that they want somebody who will uh, oppose wokeness. Boom, eighty five percent highest rating. Somebody who will say that Donald Trump won in twenty twenty. Sixty one percent third. Third highest. Uh, what, what was the what was number two on the list there, Tim? Second was oppose any gun any restrictions. gun restrictions, right? And then the fourth number, in the four hole, make liberals angry. And as a, a buddy of mine said, boy, cutting taxes is great, but have you ever pissed off a liberal? Oh, <laughs> right. This is this is inside the mind of uh, Republican voters. But cutting taxes wasn't on the list, right? That wasn't offered up as an option. I guess not. It is true. I have I do have a critique of the poll, yes. which is kind of telling about where the party is right now, which is they gave the, the series of questions, which is, are you looking for a candidate who does, and then these series of issues, and wants to cut taxes was not one of the ones that they that they proposed. JVL, why don't you give your riff while I pull up what the other options were? Well, I mean, the, the most important thing about this is that none of this requires governing power. Right. You can oppose wokeness by simply saying stuff. You can oppose wokeness on Twitter. Ron DeSantis, his his great innovation is trying to figure out a government policy agenda for opposing wokeness. Almost all of it seems to get struck down by the courts because it's not actually constitutional. That's beside the point. I think voters are just as happy to have people oppose wokeness by saying stuff. You support Donald Trump having won the presidency by simply saying it. You make liberals angry by simply talking or tweeting. Now, the gun stuff, you would actually have to vote against a piece of legislation if it happened. But that's how you oppose gun reforms and gun restrictions. It strikes me, you know, everybody's like, well, Republicans really want someone who can win. I'm not sure that's true. Because it seems to me that a failed presidential candidate could satisfy these desires much more completely than a successful governor or senator could. And a successful presidential candidate, if he had to, like, moderate on some of these things, I think might not be very attractive to Republicans. And I think this is key because it's kind of related to I I did my DeSantis uh, Elizabeth Warren bit last week, which was, you know, that he's getting too far down the rabbit hole on some of these specific issues, you know, where you do have to actually do stuff on policies. And the numbers here bear that out. Supports USAID to Ukraine. That is uh, the second lowest (laughs) 
uh, number of Republicans uh, care about that. The lowest is would cut spending on Social Security. So Trump has won that argument, you know, when it comes to Social Security. Even the national abortion ban comes in below making liberals angry. So taxes and regulations weren't included on that. So, you know, uh, uh, open dialogue on whether Republican voters love to do another follow-up poll on whether Republican voters care about that more or less than making liberals angry. But we know that they care less about entitlement reform, abortion, and a strong foreign policy against the commies than they do about making liberals angry and, you know, this amorphous fight against woke. And, And I think this is where DeSantis has gone wrong a little bit when it comes to just the Florida legislative agenda, you know, which is the six-week abortion ban, like these very prescriptive, like, social issues, you know, where where he's trying to fast policies on. And that's, like, not really what the folks are voting for. He was better positioned as a liberals hate me because I veered a different direction on COVID. You know, liberals hate me because uh, I say things on Fox that get them upset, right? The woke people hate me when the details weren't really filled in. Yeah, I mean, I want to go back to something JBL said about how, you know, people don't want to move on. And and I think that's not quite right, right? I think there is a chunk of the party that wants to move on. And I, I've talked a lot about this, written a lot about this, because the focus groups, especially in that period from about the January 6th committee, which is when I saw it really starting, which coincided with the Ron DeSantis media boomlet, that's when people started to say, I think Trump has too much baggage, I think we need somebody else, and I think it should be this Ron DeSantis guy, that accelerates After the 2022 midterms where Ron DeSantis wins by 20 points and Donald Trump has a massive failure in his endorsements and everybody comes out and says this guy's a loser and everyone thinks Trump's too weak to to win and you start to see a big chunk of the party say, we need somebody who's electable, we need to, to move on and we like Ron DeSantis. Then what happens? And I think this point that you just made about, I've always said this about DeSantis, it's not about who Ron DeSantis hates, it's about who hates Ron DeSantis. That is his power. Okay, now here's the problem. Now it's Trump, though, who hates Ron DeSantis, and that presents a real conundrum. But also, DeSantis is getting attacked by the media, you know, whatever, for his legislative agenda. But Trump's getting indicted, right? And there's a pathology on the right that says the one that they're going after the hardest, right? They go after Donald Trump because they're afraid of Donald Trump. And so that means that Donald Trump is the guy we should go with because that's who they're most afraid of. That's who they're trying to make sure we can't vote for. That's who they're trying to get rid of. And the the other thing I'll just say is that I've started to really dig into, in the focus groups, the call the diploma divide, college-educated versus Mm. non-college-educated. And there's a big difference. So the college-educated folks are the ones who will talk sometimes about policy. Right. And at minimum, understand, like have a sense of the what the policies are on the left that they don't like. And they're the ones who like DeSantis. And they're the ones who like DeSantis. The problem is, is that over for Republicans, the their share of college educated voters has been dropping precipitously. And they've had a major rise of non-college voters, mainly white, but also across racially diverse Hispanics, blacks. And so as a result, the non-college folks have are much more about like the words. Like, I want to be mad. I want I don't want to go after elites. I don't want an actual politician. And so this I think is is just a big piece of this, right? There's not a big policy preference. It's also why you see the guns popping really high. It tends to be a lot more sort of rural, non-college whites who care about gun rights as a as a top line item. Anyway, that's my thought on this that. This is just really quick on the non-college, because I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but it, it's, it's somebody else was pointing out on Twitter. I, I forget who it was. So I, I apologize for not crediting you. But 
it was both on the non-college, if you looked at the crosstabs of this poll, and on the independents, where all of the more vibesy stuff rated higher, right? And, and I do think this is another thing that people forget about what Trump did, is he brought in these people who were disaffected. Right. Mm-hmm. They weren't traditionally the Republican. traditional voters. Yeah, they do not care about Ukraine. They do not care about the social security cuts. And they do not like this, you know, sense that the culture is moving away from them, which is the stand in for the woke. Right. And so how do you appeal to that? Well, and so here's the Achilles heel for DeSantis. Right. And so if the people who like you within the party are the party elites. Yes. But the entire party, its posture is anti-elite. How do you make the sale by having the smarty pants, college educated Republicans tell the rubes in the with the Cletus voice that they're wrong and they should vote for DeSantis? Yeah. That you can't do that, right? One way they're doing it is something that me and Sarah have been saying. I don't know if you've seen this, Sarah. They're trying out this, oh, Trump is the establishment. Yeah. There's a new MAGA establishment, right? Yeah. Which has been a big me and Sarah bit. But that's that's not gonna work. It just doesn't that doesn't smell right. While we're here doing a little accountability, I would like to say to Sarah that I think we can comfortably blame her and all the never Trumpers for DeSantis's decline. Because as you as you say, it is his power was in who hates him. Right. And we had this, you know, we spent like two months with a whole, you know, in Democratic and never Trump circles with people talking about is DeSantis worse than Trump? And people like us, uh, I think, basically won the argument that no. DeSantis is not worse than Trump. Trump is much worse. And you, you know, you you have said you would happily vote for DeSantis over Trump. Blah, 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 blah. And so what have we done? We've we've proven that we we don't hate DeSantis as much as we hate we Trump. We are to blame. Yeah. And therefore, Republican voters have no choice but to support Donald Trump. It's our fault again. I'm telling somebody go look at the day Jeb Bush came out with his endorsement of Ron DeSantis <laughs> and 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 mark it against the decline. You get Jeb's name out of your mouth. And you mark it against okay? his precipitous decline in the balls. Uh, <laughs> and I also got to say, like watching the National Review and the and like some of these other DeSantis stands, like they're just fighting so hard. And like watching, Ross, the- it. please run, run, please. I mean, you are our great hope. I mean, Eric Erickson just like can't do enough. Uh, and you know what? These guys, they tried this before and they lost. Now, I, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen this time. I'm just saying I don't know that they realize that when they fight this hard, that like if you just look at the comments, they're all just like, yeah, you rhino never Trumpers. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you do not lump me in with Rich Lowry, random commenter, right. 69, 420. <laughs> um, anyway, one other interesting thing about all this, though, when you, you talk about it, like the place where they kind of have a point, the DeSantis people about Trump being the establishment, we've been saying that Trump is the mega establishment, is he has co-opted these people yeah. to a really, to the swampy people to a big degree. It just, he doesn't seem like it to the same degree that DeSantis does. And that's all a vibes thing. But, uh, you know, Sarah, in the green room, you were mentioning this political article that just came out. I have worked very closely with both Chris Lasavita and Susie Wiles, who are running Trump's campaign. There's a high competency level. They have wins under their belts. And like they're running a real effort. And this Social Security thing in this poll is a prime example of this. I thought they were overplaying their hand a little bit on the cutting Social Security thing. No, it was last place on this. Yeah. Cutting entitlements. So anyway, what what was your take, like reading that, you know, kind of take out on Trump's operation vis-a-vis DeSantis? I mean, I just think it's been really evident that Trump this time around, like, has a plan. And it's honestly a plan. I mean, you want to talk about accountability. 
if I went back and listened to us right around like November, December about Trump getting in, I'm sure I was saying like, this is ridiculous. You know, like what is he yeah, doing? Yeah, D-list. Like so stupid. But you know what he's been able to do is now he's he's been able to set the pace of this race. He's been able to be in it a long time. So now a bunch of people are like, well, why aren't these other people in? Which opens them up to all this like, well, will Ron DeSantis really get in? I mean, Trump's been running this campaign. Trump is locking up endorsements early. He's making personal calls. And this professionalized operation is doing things like, oh, is Ron DeSantis in D.C. today? Boom, we're going to unroll all of our Florida endorsements. And that kind of thing has been devastating to DeSantis. I mean, just think about all the Jason Miller you know, Corey Lewandowski. Yeah. I mean, I guess Kellyanne is like a real pro, but like I would say like broadly speaking. They Even Las Vegas and Susie are both more. I, if you go back to the 2014 right. era and say like, who would you recruit to run a campaign? Both Las Vegas and Susie would be ahead of Kellyanne. And I have to really question like what inside them died that is allowing them to run this campaign. Oh. But from an actual, just a totally morally neutral, like, competency standpoint, they're running a really competent campaign. So I, I saw the article because Eric Erickson tweeted it by basically being like, when DeSantis gets in the race and shows everyone he knows what he's doing, you know, this this media narrative is going to fall apart. And I was like, you know. The media narrative being that Trump has a better campaign. Yeah, and that DeSantis is kind of flailing. I don't know. I mean, I don't think that the last month has been as much of a Trump acceleration as it has been a DeSantis deflation and I think that the DeSantis deflation is not because he's not in the race. I actually think it's because people are taking a look at him harder now. And instead of being like an overlapping Venn diagram with Trump, like as a separate entity, and I don't think he's, he's standing up, people are like, I don't know that I like him that much. The only component that he has as his argument against Trump is electability and that is plummeting because, again, uh, we've, we're seeing his retail political skills and his lack thereof. Again, he's going to have to carry around the abortion ban, the six-week abortion ban, and his constitutional carry with him everywhere he goes, like luggage or herpes. And these guys, like Andrew McCarthy from, from National Review, who this week wrote that Trump can't win, period. Here, I, I want to read what just just one sentence, right? I am as certain as I am writing this that Donald Trump will never again be elected president of these United States. How does this guy have a job writing words for a living? Like, <laughs> I just, I don't understand who would pay for that because I'm sorry, you know, at the absolute worst, Trump might have a 30% chance to win the presidency should he become the nominee. They're even starting to see this in the polling. We had a poll pop this week that showed Trump running Five points ahead of DeSantis against Biden. We've seen both sides of that. But. We have seen both sides of it. But when DeSantis is running ahead of Trump, he's not running 10 points ahead, right? It's two points here, four points there. And this idea that DeSantis is infinitely more electable than Trump is an absolute mirage. And voters are going to see that. If your entire argument is electability and you can't prove the electability thing, and your only response is, well, in 2022, he won Florida by 19 points against tomato can Charlie Crist. I, I'm sorry. That's not that's not going to be an argument that closes the sale with voters. Yeah. The real danger of the electability argument is that it goes away as soon as polls start consistently showing Trump even or better with Biden. Like it can just it can just go away that way. And I think it goes away even more just by um innate reptilian sense that, that DeSantis doesn't feel more electable. Yeah. 
I actually think that's hurt hurt some more than polls. Just one last thing on the on the YouGov poll, JVL. I, I would love your take on this. The thing that Republican voters care the second least about is supporting Ukraine. Mm. My, do we have to give my Kevin a little love on on the next level totally. here for going against the voters here? What was your read on that? Did did he just was it like this vestigial like? you know, anti-Russia thing from the back of his brain from being a college Republican that just came out in the moment and he wanted to wag his finger at the Russian reporter or was there something more at play? So he's asked by a Russian reporter about this and, you know, he basically watched it and said, no, we, we do support aid to Ukraine and uh, and what your country has done there is shameful and we all, I forget his exact wording, but it was very, it was a very good statement. And this is how Republican foreign policy used to be. The problem is that Republican foreign policy now lives inside the democratic establishment. And like, it's a weird thing. And a lot of people have trouble getting their heads around that. But if you are like a person who wants strong, robust American foreign policy that is going to take care of our alliances and protect our interests in the world, uh, your only home is in the democratic party right now. (laughs) And you know, every once in a while you'll get a flash of this from Kevin McCarthy or Mitt Romney or Mitch McConnell, and they'll say the right thing. But they don't have the power within their caucus to execute on that because that's not what the Republican voters want, right? Yeah. Because the problem here is not the politicians. The problem is the voters. So you, you, the polls can only be as good as their voters will let them be. And Trump. But because Trump brings the voters, right? Let's just be real. If Trump disappeared, if he had the heart attack in my dreams— then the voters' view on Ukraine probably wouldn't change that much. It would tack a little bit back because leadership matters, triangle of doom, et cetera, et cetera. But it would be kind of like how things were, which had its own set of problems, but kind of how things were on immigration, like in the 2000s, where the party didn't want, wanted tough immigration, but the leaders kind of like went against what voters wanted. I I think that that's what would be happening on Ukraine right now. Tucker would still be Tucker. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene would still be Marjorie Taylor Greene. That beast has been awoken. I I, I just don't think it goes back to sleep just because Trump dies. I want to go deep in the heart of Texas. I want to change change topics a little bit. I've got a Texas potpourri for everybody. I spent like three days driving across Texas. There's a good, oh, I wish I pulled it up. There's a good poem somebody sent me about how you wake up in Texas and you go to sleep and you're in Texas yet. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't get the fuck out of Texas. Uh, It was a very big state. Sarah, why don't you pick here? We've got Colin Allred announces the Senate race and we've got the shooting and and we have the very interesting response by the Texas legislature to said shooting. Which one, which one do yeah, you want I'm to cover first? Yeah, I'm most mad about the shooting, so let's go there. Okay, let's go there. We can end with Colin. We can have Colin afterwards. Yeah. A, little, a little dessert. So I, I assume everybody's seen this, but just very quickly, there was a uh, undocumented immigrant that killed a family, which I didn't even realize until after Greg Abbott put out a statement that was also full of undocumented immigrants with an AR-15 over a dispute. Uh, the family was upset that the guy was firing off his AR-15 at like 11 p.m. and it was kind of loud and they had an eight-year-old who wanted to go to sleep and and so uh, he killed them all. Abbott's response to that was to like attack the illegal immigrant family kind of uh, in a statement and then the legislature is, had a very interesting response as well about not this time it isn't door control it's uh, we're going to train our eight-year-olds in battlefield combat. We want them to be able to suture a wound. So anyway, Sarah. Well, I just have one. I'll let JVL do the eight-year-old suture the wound thing. But it wasn't that Abbott came out and like criticized the family exactly. It's what he did was he made clear in his statement they were going to offer, I believe, a $50,000 reward to catch this guy who had killed a family of illegal immigrants. And he made sure that we knew that the people who had been murdered in this gun massacre 
were immigrants. And it was one of those things that is unnecessary unless what you want to do is dehumanize people in that moment, to make sure that that people understand that the that he wanted to signal to people that either we didn't have to care as much or that it was important to designate them as such that they were illegal. And I I got to say, when, when people have been massacred to sort of make sure that you are getting in that sort of finer political point, it felt so gross. Because the point is to rob people in that moment of their, like, dignity and humanity. It's so unnecessary. Like, you just don't need to do it. Like, it's one of those things that, like, you only need to do it to demonstrate that you, like, live in a moral rot. Yeah. Is how I feel about it. It's an interesting situation. One, one of my observations driving through, so I, I drove through Arizona, and then you go through El Paso, and then, you know, kind of up through, you know, we were probably 100 miles from the border. I went to Marfa. And there's, like, a highway, an immigration highway check going across I-10 that you get stopped. And there's, like, immigration patrol everywhere. The Republicans always are going to the border, like, we need more border control. We need more border security. And the alarming thing to me just on both fronts was, like, we have a lot of border security, actually, already. Like, very significant. And and it's a significant problem, of course. So I'm not saying we don't necessarily need more. Maybe we do need more. But I make that point because it feels so central to the lives of folks down there, right? Like, when you're living through this every day. That, like, it is not an accident to make that demonization point. Like, this is a way to position himself, you know, continually as being like, I'm strong on this. And and if you don't read conservative blogs, like, there actually is, like, Abbott's got criticized by a lot of right-wingers, like, in order to try to butch up DeSantis, talking about how, like, DeSantis was doing Abbott's dirty work for him by sending immigrants. You know, he had to go to Texas to send the migrants to Martha's Vineyard because Abbott wasn't doing his job, um, et cetera. So, like, it's just so far afield. Just going back to our original poll question, it's just so far afield, JVL, from, like, how W and Rick Perry even as governors of that state like dealt with this. I mean, look, the, I would say the political response, but really the human response when anything happens that's bad, when there's tragedy is to be immediately sympathetic for the victims. And the idea that in that literally that first blush of reaction that one's One's impulse is to label the victims to make clear as to which side they're on. Like, you know, when when a tornado goes ripping through a town in Arkansas, the initial report on it does not say the town, which voted for Donald Trump by a margin of 82 to 12, (laughs) was decimated by these horrible tornadoes and three were killed. That's not that's not how people react, because if you react like that, you're a monster, right? That is an inhuman way. And I really wonder if that was a calculated statement of his to to, you know, prove bona fides or if that's just a reflexive view of the world. And I don't I don't like it. One of the things I like about Biden is that is not how he, you know, reflexively interacts with the world. Look, I see ghouls on Twitter from you know, I'll do my both sides But you, you will see ghouls who react to things like the Arkansas tornado or something by saying, yeah, well, those people voted for Trump and they don't believe in climate change. So F them. And I think that's monstrous and horrible. And uh, but those are randos on Twitter. And this is the governor of the second most populous state in America. So it's not equivalent, but the impulse is the same and it's bad. 
and we we should we should be slinking back away from that. The other thing banging around on this is totally endorsed out of Hondo P, by the way. Um, the Texas legislature, in response to Uvalde, so back in, I think it was 2019, there's a Democratic legislator that was part of a comprehensive kind of package about how to deal with school shootings, had a piece of legislation that required there to be tr- like battlefield trauma kits in schools as a horrible reality, but it seems to make sense. Uh, there's also another provision that had that had seventh graders had to be trained on how to use these. Pretty gross. Again, very sad that that is a sad reality of America. There's an amendment right now here. I want to pull this up, uh, which is Republican Ken King has proposed a bill that pay public school teachers and staff up to 25 grand if they're willing to carry a GAT at school. So that's one response to this. The other one, though, is uh, an amendment which has the student enrolled in campus in grade three or higher will be trained. There'll be a bleeding control station required. Must contain the following supplies, tourniquets, chest seals, compression badges, bleeding control bandages, space emergency blankets, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to be training third graders on how to use this equipment. I, what? How do we square this with the, I, not that they're trying to square it. Like on the one hand, it's like third graders cannot read uh, about the penguins, the gay penguins, but but we have to teach them how to use tourniquets right. approved for use in battlefield trauma care by the armed forces of the United States. That's a direct quote from this bill. Yeah, and this is a democratic messaging bill, and it's psychotic. Like, I understand that it's meant uh, to shame Republicans, right? That's the whole point of it. It's not going to pass. But I don't know. Are you sure? Yeah, are you sure? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I, 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 you know, she's introduced this bill like, you know, seven times now, I think. And okay. <laughs> I, I believe this is a messaging bill meant to embarrass Republicans. And I don't like it because maybe you trigger the cons with it. But also, if it were to be put into practice, it would not help anybody. It wouldn't save a single life. And all it's going to do is like traumatize kids. Is the 25000 bonus for teachers to carry guns at school a messaging bill? I don't think so. I and think that's, that's meant that's seriously. Serious right? that's, that's the serious okay. response, which uh, I don't know how teacher pay scale works in Texas, but I'm pretty sure that uh, you don't get twenty five grand in most schools for agreeing to coach the softball team or something like that, right? I mean, teachers get a pay bump for opening. It, it amazes me that somebody would think, yes, we should we should give a teacher five times the bump for carrying a gun day to day than we would give them for being involved in an activity which helps further the prospects of the kids. I know these people are so unserious, these, these Republicans, with this door stuff. And I, I really, I've said this before on the show, I really wish that they would stop being cowards and just have the courage of their convictions and say, it's like the First Amendment, and I'm sorry. You're going to have kids killed in schools every year because we cannot infringe on anybody's right to carry a gun, and you people should just live with it. Just say that. Just say it. Because that's what that's what their position is. So I saw this thing the other day on the internet, and it was this dad talking about the fears he had for his daughter. Things like getting sexually assaulted being massacred in school by guns. It's like, you know what I've never, has never been scary to me because I've never heard of it happening? It's like a dude being in the women's bathroom that's transgender and like having that be, you know, like a scary thing. Like he's like, this is just like not the thing that I'm scared about. I'm scared about all of these other things because he's like, why would I be scared about this thing? I'm scared about this other thing that happens all the time 
and that is a big cultural problem. I hear Republicans say all the time, like, well, they're very afraid of, you know, there being trans kids in the bathroom. You know, like that's the litter boxes. Is 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 this what we should be afraid of? Are we structuring our fear properly? I think maybe we're not. The Democratic state reps, this is, I mean, it might feel like a messaging bill, uh, but like she's she seems genuine. She gives a lot of interviews about this bill and thinks that this is what's needed. I, I mean, I, I guess I, I understand the frustration of a mom, you know, who's like, oh, this is something that we need, you know, and you're in the face of you're in these legislatures and they're coming up with all these these solutions. But it's pretty, pretty insane. The question is, so we've got Colin Allred who announced today, just a little bit before we taped it, we had a great interview with him, JVL and I did for the Sunday Next Level podcast. We should go back and listen to it if you if you missed it. How does somebody like him navigate all this without getting into Beto land, right? I, I think this is the the really big question, right? Is there an opportunity for a Colin Allred to engage on these kinds of issues in Texas where you have a governor that's just grotesquely demonizing immigrants? Uh, we have a five-week abortion ban with a bounty on it. You know, you have these, like, you want to incentivize teachers to carry gats. Like, some of that stuff's popular in Texas. Some of it's less popular in Texas. Sarah, I want you to put on your strategist cap since you didn't weren't in that interview with Colin and and might have a little more clear eyed view on it. Like, how can somebody like him engage in that stuff without getting bettoized um, into just getting Biden voters? Right, because he's going to have to get a couple Trump voters if he's going to beat Ted Cruz. A couple, he's going to have to get a lot, decent amount. And Trump won by five and a half. So Trump won by nine and sixteen, five and a half in. 20. So that's still a significant win, but the trend line is the other way. So I, I have all this right in front of me, if you want me to tick okay. down. Um, yeah, tick through it. It's very uncomfortable. But I can make an optimistic case for you as to why I think Allred has a chance to win. Uh, in 2018, Cruz wins re-election by 2.6%. Uh, he runs five points behind Greg Abbott in that race, which is amazing. That's a horrific Republican year. Just as a th- and this it's is a an bad Republican year, year but, he, but here what is interesting to me is that 500,000 Texans who voted for Abbott turned around and voted for Beto. Yeah. What I'm looking at is the differential between Cruz and the top of the ticket. Sure. Okay. okay. Uh, Abbott, much more popular in Texas than Trump. So Abbott, even in a bad Republican year, gets to 56% of the vote. In 2016, Trump gets 52.2%. In 2020, he gets the same, basically, a little bit less, 52.06. But there's a big difference in that gap is that there is all of the people and there's like a 4% Johnson, I don't know if McMullen was on the ballot there, right in, right? Like that all of those people essentially go then to Biden, right? Right. Like, so he, so Trump Trump has about the same ballot share between 16 and 20, 52%. So you're going to have to cut into that 50, you're going to have to cut, cut into, into that, that 2%. Right. But the Democrats already basically picked up, you know, that, you know, third party vote from 16, which cuts it to five and a yeah, half. Yeah, but can I just say the thing about Allred's ad that I think, so how does he not descend into Battle Land? There's a couple ways. And I think he's doing it in his ad. It's a very good first ad. But I thought one of the things he did most effectively was the contrast with Ted Cruz, right? Yeah. Like your biggest, the biggest opportunity is to make people hate Ted Cruz more than they hate you. The problem for Beto is he moved into enough of progressive land And because the libs were so excited about him and because he was jumping on tables, he turned off a lot of people who were just like, you know what, I don't really like this whole shtick, right? And it got started to feel shticky. And he also took on guns as head on as you could possibly imagine. And he was, you know, I remember him like he was dropped the F-bomb, like whatever. I think 
this guy, big guy, football player, has real star quality, and Beto had that. But I think if he runs just a little, like, goes hard at Ted Cruz. The Cancun stuff, every time I remember the Cancun stuff, and I must be like this for Texans, you're just like, ugh. And his idea that Ted Cruz doesn't care about Texas, I think can really resonate. I think that is good. And so I think being less of grabbing all the progressive issues and making them his issues and instead making it a contrast campaign with Ted Cruz, I think that's effective. And I thought that ad was doing that. So this is what he does, I think, and what he is clearly going to do, which I think is so interesting. He's creating a permission structure for Republicans to vote for him. He's not running against evil Republicans. He's not saying that, like, you know, we got to protect, stand up for justice and protect democracy. What he said to us on the next level was fascinating to me. He said, I'm in Texas and it feels like we have one senator because anytime there's a crisis for Texans, it's John Cornyn who shows up to help us and not Ted Cruz. And presenting that contrast as a sort of like, hey, I'm a Democrat and I would not have run against John Cornyn because John Cornyn shows up to do the job. But this guy, this guy over here, he's not here doing the job. He's on Twitter and he's in Cancun and he's taping his podcasts because he's a conservative influencer and he's not working for Texans. And I think that's where Colin Allred has to live. And I think in a neutral year, All he's got to do is run a couple points ahead of Biden in Texas. I think that's it's close, but I think it's doable. Does that make sense? Yeah, I want to get back to Sarah in a second. Just two, I have two nitpicks, and I want to follow up with Sarah on something about the ad. I thought the ad was really good. I thought he was good with us on the next level. Again, focusing on the absentee Ted. What he added in the video that we didn't talk about was a lot of he focused a lot of the working class stuff. He's got to do well with non college Hispanics. Mm -hmm. Got to. Right. And like immigration is not that the issue. Right. It is. It's pocketbook stuff. It's, and it's not seeming too far out there on cultural stuff. So the two things is the one is I loved the part about of the ad where he talks about how he wants to be a good dad because he didn't have one. So good. The thing about how he is the first congressman to take paternity leave. Yeah. I'm for it. I'm for it, but like it was, it wasn't great. It's true. It's a little, it's a little cringy. Yeah. It's a little cringy. I, I'm for it. He should do it. I'm on for it on the merits. This is just a, this is just a political criticism. Uh, it makes you seem a little Whole Foodsy, right? And he's got to lean in on Cracker Barrel, right? Like uh, he's going to get the Whole Foods people. Doesn't have to worry about them. And then, then there was just one little clip about Ted Cruz wanting to ban pornography from schools saying teachers are, are spreading pornography which is again probably ridiculous but like i looked at that and i was like what's wrong with that like I te- I, parents don't want pornography to be in school so i just there's a lot of good stuff out there and i think this is my question for you sarah is like how do you resist the urge to kind of jump on all of these things that like would land here on the next level and with other people that go to whole foods like i did yesterday but just engaging on the cultural stuff in areas where there's broader agreements that he can try to bring over that last 4%. Yeah, can I tell you, this is why oftentimes, even though I think it's fantasy politics, I always think like Republicans really need to run, like lapsed Republicans really need to run for these seats. And the reason is, is that they're native to the tribe of Republicans, and they would understand that you do not boast about being the first congressman to take paternity leave. It's just one of those things that like, You can't see it if you're part of a different tribe. It's sort of like one of the things I always think when a reporter sends me an email and they have their pronouns in the email, I'm like, that's cool, but you didn't tell me your pronouns really. You told me your politics. 
And like, I don't think about them sending it to me, but I think about that reporter sending it to try to like a Republican to try to get them to do an interview. Ask for a statement. Right? Yeah. And how immediately that Republican's like, I can't trust this person. This person is not, this person is outside my tribe. And so I don't know. I always kind of want to get these guys like a like a Republican coach. You need a different email signature for Republicans. For Republicans, when you're asking for a comment under your sig line, it says my pronouns are fuck around and find out. <laughs> Yeah, but like you don't have to do that. Just don't do the thing that signals lib, right? Yeah. yeah. Two other thoughts I have. Um, one is just because I sometimes I think we get uh, you know lib listeners are like, but you need turnout stuff, and 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 you have to motivate the base. You have to. And I, that's what Ted Cruz and, is and, for. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is where I'm going. Yeah. Right. Like Beto, I I totally I give Beto credit. Like uh, Beto and Stacey Abrams are both like the 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 people that you send in on the front line of the battle to like go down, you know. And 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 they were sacrificial lambs, okay. And and Beto got close. He was two point four percent off. Stacey got close in the first time. Both of them got did worse the next time. And they showed that you could fight. That there's a fight to be had, right? Yes. And so credit to them for showing that those states are winnable, those states are worth competing in, and they brought and, and registered people and brought them into the system. Those people are in the system now, okay? They're voting now. They're engaged. Great job, Beto. And Stacy. the way to get people to go to the polls in 2024 is going to be Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump, and Ted Cruz, two of those three people, right? That's how you're going to get the people to the polls is that these people are insane. Okay. And, and that they want to end democracy. And I, the January 6th stuff was great. I'd love to see a cops contrast from all red, you know, being pro cop versus Ted, you know, uh, resulting in the death of police officers with his January 6th protest. So like, that is how you how you motivate people. Now, the other thing is, I do think that there's a way to go on offense on the cultural stuff. It's hard, though. But but I think the immigration thing is probably a loser, unfortunately. But I think on the gun stuff, there's a way to do it. There's a way to engage where focusing on Ted Cruz not caring more about his podcast stats, caring about those kids, you know, focusing on some of the, you know, very popular, you know, the 21 plus age thing that I always hit on. I think that they can engage in that on abortion. Obviously, five weeks bounty. This is a winner in Texas opposing that bill. So I do think that there are ways to do it on the cultural stuff. It doesn't mean you have to like run a milk toasty Mark Penn no labels campaign or whatever. That's not what I'm arguing for. It's just you got to be you got to be smart about it. Are you taking a leave of absence to go run uh, Collins' campaign? No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm retired from that, mm. um, and so I appreciate people because I need your content. I'm always happy to give my two cents, though. You know, for people that want my opinion. Well, I'm happy to give logo design notes. I was running Jeb's comms campaign, though, and we we finished in last place and also managed to tank DeSantis, apparently, according to Sarah. So I don't know. I don't know if you, you might not want my, you might not want my advice. So take it for what it's worth. We've had a very long show, um, but it's been pretty good. Um, any final thoughts? Any final little words of wisdom? Bon mots? I will tell you, I've had two broken washer and dryers delivered to my house, two. <laughs> We're waiting for the third delivery in this new home. So I am like an uh, old maid in the, in the 1700s, you know, washing Toulouse's underwear in a bucket with soap. Do you have a washboard, the metal washboard, and you're scrubbing it down? And- hey, man. I have some actual advice because our, our washing machine crapped out recently. Yeah. There's this okay. thing called rinse. It's like Uber Eats, but for clothes now. 
you can just give them all your stuff and they will like they'll take it in a big bag and then they'll wash it and they'll bring it back folded in a big bag. Okay, maybe I'll do that for that sure. Sounds amazing. I feel kind of I feel weird about giving people my undergarments. Does that not weird you out a little bit? I mean, if you want to wash them in a bucket, fine. Uh, I don't. Yeah, just pretend it's robots. I appreciate the advice though. Rinse. Rinse is not sponsoring us, unlike our glorious sheets. Yeah, they're not. But I just I it's a thing. <laughs> so. uh, I also, if people are in Washington D.C., I have an event coming up with Diane Reem. Um, Ooh, and really? I do. Um, the Golden Voice. And it's a it's a fundraiser, and so if anybody wants more information on that, there's there's details that I'm not going to give out here. But if people are in D.C. and they want to come see me in a salon with uh, Diane Reem and have some cheese and whatnot, then email us and I'll get you the info. Well, well, that sounds okay. You should probably come to New York instead. You should, you also should probably, probably come, to come to New York and see JVL in his element. Around people, <laughs> getting touched. Oh, JVL loves it's that. Sit there and um, smile while they rub my face. You know, and you can watch Charlie berate me for my lack of knowledge about 1940s musicals, which somehow is this heterosexual man he seems very well versed in and very passionate about. It'll be wonderful. May 18th, still some tickets left. We have a good number coming already, though. It's yeah. going to be a good crowd of bulwarkers. So, and, and I might go to the gay bar after. No promises. So, you know, if you want to get rowdy, I don't know about Sarah. You know, we might relive our heyday. She's smiling. <laughs> She's know. interested. Every She's time interested. you talk about going to a game, I have a very specific image that pops into my brain of you. From and, 2008? Yeah, of you and I, young you and me. I behave differently in 2023. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, Sebastian, you're not invited. He just invited himself. I was trying to get <laughs> Sarah and our, and our guests in. Maybe Sebastian will come as well. Uh, you'll get to see him. And uh, this has been great. It's been such a great show. Not long at all. My, I've been, I, I do a great job in the captain's chair. JVL will be back in charge next you week. You do do though. well. But my Diane Reem thing is on the 12th, just FYI. Oh, so, That's okay. Diane I just Reem. realized I forgot I hadn't said that. Diane Reem on the 12th. New York on the 18th. Colin Allred's running for Senate. Go Nuggets. We'll see you on Sunday for a Sunday show with Larry Wilmore. He's awesome. Already taped it. See you then. Bye.